Hey guys, welcome to the ASAP. I am here with Landon and Reese to talk about this past week's sermon um, where David ended our But Why series. So this was from March 25th and um, we're gonna go ahead and move into the sermon audio. And then afterwards, we will be here to discuss the sermon more in depthly. Right, hello, people. Hello, hello, and happy spring break. Right? <laughs> One day. I'm sorry. Uh, hey, uh, my name is David. I'm the pastor of students here. We're gonna dive into the word tonight. Anybody been watching March Madness? Anybody? I know UK's not in it, so it's kind of like, eh. Um, well, here at CSF, we we have this March Madness bracket challenge, and you can enter in and, and hopefully win something. And this is really hard for me to admit. Uh, but I'm in dead last place right now. And in this series, we've been asking the question, what is my purpose? Why am I here? And I remember being in college, wrestling with these questions, uh, thinking about what does my future look like? Why am I here on this earth? But I remember my freshman year of college, I was getting ready to go home for the summer. Some of you guys are already in that mindset. And if you had asked me at that time what my greatest purpose for that summer was, I would have said, make money. Okay. Like all I cared about was making money so that I could continue to do all the fun things in college. So, uh, when I got back to Colorado where I was from, I took the first job I could find in the very lucrative field of department stores. Um, the local Sears was hiring and I was like, yes, I will work there. Uh, I don't care what it is. Um, I figured I'd be working a cash register or selling electronics or something. Uh, but that's not what they were, they were hiring for. I, I got offered a job and found out I would be working in a special department that caught shoplifters, okay? Um, and we didn't have like cool badges or like security uniforms. Um, I would watch the cameras in the back, like watch for people who, you know, were being suspicious and, and shoplifting, or I'd be walking around the store in plain clothes, you know, faking phone calls and catching shoplifters, guys. Um, and the best part about this whole like summer job was my job title. My official job title on official Sears documents was undercover loss prevention detective. Yes, I was a detective, all right? Like, like I, love, I love that because now when people ask me like what I've done, I was like, well, I used to be an undercover detective, but now I'm a pastor. So um, that's my progression here. My wife hates when I lead with that. But um, I got to say, my desire to make money was very, very, very real. But then something clicked inside of me when I realized like, I'm not just making money, like I'm serving justice. Like I'm fighting crime. Like I'm basically a superhero in plain clothes. Like, like there's something here and, and I, gotta lie, I can't lie, it was, it was really thrilling, at least until I realized that most people who shoplift from Sears are 80 year old grandmas who just need a thrill, okay? Um, and don't, don't feel bad for them, okay? They're feisty grandmas, okay? Um, what they would do. Um, and also I realized that Watching cameras sounds kind of cool, like, uh, but I realize that people do really weird things in department stores when they don't think they're being watched, like stripping down naked to change into a new clothes instead of walking 10 feet to the, the dressing room. Uh, very weird things, okay? Very uncomfortable moments. But there were days when I felt like I was doing actual good. Like the day I, I stopped a guy from stealing $200 worth of cologne um, or uh, the day there was a guy, he was stealing a knife and some tools and I stopped him and he like shoved into me. We wrestled for a little bit. was able to knock the stuff out of his hands before he ran off. Um, things you do when you're 19 years old in a summer job, am I right? Um, or the time someone attempted to steal 25 pairs of jeans and walk out the store. That really, that really happened. 
Uh, but we were able to stop him. Uh, but even more important than that, guys, uh, the time when my coworkers asked why I didn't go outside to smoke with them after they stopped the shoplifting incident because their tradition was we'd stop a shoplifter, uh, write them up, you know, they get a ticket from the police and they go out and they'd smoke and then just talk trash about the person and how, how dumb they were and how stupid they are and all. And they would just like insult them. And as a Christian, I felt this tension of like, hey, I'm in the world, but not of the world. And I, I wouldn't go out with them to, for these moments because it just didn't feel quite right. And they'd ask me, like, why don't you join us for this? And, and start to share about some of my convictions and the things I care about and loving people and honoring people. And, and they'd start asking me about my faith. And I spent that whole summer sharing about my faith and praying for coworkers. And here's the point, guys. I didn't go into that summer looking for purpose. I was looking for a paycheck, but I found purpose. And sometimes I think we live... Um, these unintentional lives, hoping to stumble into something that makes our lives feel bigger than ourselves. Uh, we hope for happy accidents and sometimes they happen, but more often we find purpose when we directly align ourselves with the will of God. When we absorb scripture, when we dig into the words of Jesus and observe the, the early church, uh, we'll find clear directives on how to position ourselves uh, to achieve God's greater purpose for our lives. So in the first three weeks of this series, we, we really dug into the personal individual question of what's my purpose? What does God have for me? What's my calling? Why did God put me on this planet? And tonight we're going to take a little bit of a left turn. Instead of asking what's my purpose, I want us to ask the question, what is our purpose? Like collectively, what's our calling as the capital C global church community? And even more specifically, why does CSF exist? Why did God put CSF at UK at this moment in history? Why do we gather? Who are we? Who is this group of people? And for some of you guys, you've been around for four years, you're about to head off in your lives. And some of you guys, you're here for the first time tonight. And I think God has something for all of us to understand a little bit more about why we're here. Because we want to take a moment and think about our identity as a community, not as individuals. Because here's the thing, God has a, has a calling and a plan and a purpose for your life. But your calling is not actually about you. That might be surprising, but your calling is about your role in the body of Christ and how you can complement other servants in the kingdom of God to invite others into this family and invite them into the loving family of Jesus. And we're not gonna, just going to trip into our purpose. It's not going to happen on accident. We're gonna have, so we're going to have a little bit of like a CSF family meeting tonight, just vision cast for why we are here together. And who are we as a community here? So to do that, we're going to jump into the book of Acts in the New Testament um, you have the first four books of the Bible, Matthew, Matthew Mark, Luke, John, and then you have uh, that describe the life of Jesus and what he did and how he died on the cross. And you have this book of Acts, which is what happened after Jesus died on the cross and ascended into heaven. So in Acts 1, we discovered this group of people, these Jesus' disciples, that, and they're a little lost and wondering what's next because they've just seen their Savior Jesus. They spent three years with this guy. They just watched him die on the cross, a brutal death. And they're wondering, wait, what just happened? Because they expected Jesus, the Messiah, to be this military leader that would lead Israel into national independence and establish them as this like political foe. But instead, Jesus brought them freedom in a, in a different way. When he died uh, on that cross, he freed us from our bondage of sin by taking that penalty of sin on himself. And then three days later, he rose from the grave and, and it says in scripture that he appeared to, to several people over a period of 40 years or 40 days proving his resurrection. So then in Acts 1, Jesus comes to them and he says, hey, I, I just want you guys to hang out here in Jerusalem for a little bit longer 
um, until the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then their response in verse 6 shows that they, they still aren't grasping their greater purpose, why they're there together. And they, they asked this. They said, so when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? See, they're, they're still holding on to this hope that Jesus, uh, the Messiah, is actually going to bring on this military Conquest. And one commentary I was reading on this verse, John Stott described the apostles as cherishing narrow nationalistic aspirations. See, they were intoxicated by this idea of national independence for Israel and thought, that's the greatest thing we can live for, national independence. But Jesus, no, 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 no. There's something even bigger. And he says in verse 7 and 8, he says, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. So first of all, Jesus steps around their nationalistic aspirations and says, hey guys, you're about to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And that Holy Spirit that's about to come on you is the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Like this is real spiritual power. In fact, if you're in a core group or a shift group, you should have recently discussed Romans 8 and verse 11 says, and if the spirit of him who raised uh, Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. So then he explains why they're receiving this power to be his, his witnesses. Now, you, you've heard this word witnesses tossed around in, in different Christian circles, like you need to go witness, you need to be a witness for Jesus. What in the world are they talking about? Well, in this culture, if you were to make like a big financial transaction, you were going to go buy some, some property from someone, um, you wouldn't just show up with a big check, you'd show up with a crowd of witnesses to watch this deal happen. So as you handed off the money and they, you, you got this property from this other person, all these people would observe and, and be able to uh, uh, lend credibility to the, the uh, integrity of this transaction. So in the future, if anyone questioned the deal, they would, be, they would come to your friends and say, no, no, I saw it with my own eyes. I saw this happen. This was a real thing that happened. I've witnessed for this person, okay? So, so when Jesus says, hey, be my witnesses, he's saying, listen, you've witnessed everything I've done. You've seen for the last three years, I've healed the sick, I've resurrected the dead, I've preached to thousands, I've fed the hungry, even died on the cross. Now go and attest to somebody else the sanctity, the legitimacy of what you've witnessed. Go tell people what you have seen and heard. And then he gives them four locations to be his witnesses. And there's sort of a progression through the book of Acts. You can watch, you know, as they go through the book of Acts, how they move from place to place. The, the first place, and we have a map here to show, he talks about Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the ends of the earth. So the first place he talks about is Jerusalem. This is where they are in this very moment. This was their family. This is their neighbors, their friends, their comfort zone. Jesus says, hey, start right here, right here. Now for you, oh, hello, that's some good thunder. Uh, this is where they are um, right now. For you, like your Jerusalem might be your roommate. It might be uh, your immediate friend group, your parents, your siblings. Sometimes, um, honestly, this can be one of the hardest places to be a witness, to share your faith, the people you're, 
you're closest to because it can be awkward and this can, there can be history there. Like, like for me, um, my, I know my brother is not a Christian. He's not following the Lord and, and I love him so much. I just want him to understand the freedom that comes from a relationship with Christ and he's, he's chasing fulfillment through all the wrong things right now. He just keeps getting hurt and I just, I want him so desperately to know the Lord and so I'm trying to, to be a witness and share my, my faith with him but I don't want to like be too pushy. I just, I really want to invite him into this, this, this place of grace that I know Jesus is offering him. And, and, but I find it so difficult. It's like I can, I can talk to a stranger easier about Jesus than sometimes my own brother. And I'm like, man, I don't know why this tension exists, but I pray for him more than anyone outside my wife and kids. And if you think about it, I mean, pray for my brother. I'd love for him to come know the Lord. Uh, but this is our Jerusalem. It's, a, it's a, right around us right here. And, G, and then Jesus says, go be my witness in Judea. Judea is the surrounding area around Jerusalem, Jerusalem where there might be people like them and maybe some people that are unfamiliar with them. You know, for you, this could be your, your dorm hall, your fraternity, your sorority, maybe where you work, maybe your gym that you work at. And then he says, now go, and then go to Samaria. And Samaria was the place that nobody wanted to go. Um, this was the despised people group that made them all uncomfortable. And I don't know what that is for you, but, but who are the people around Lexington, at UK, whatever, that would make you uncomfortable if God said, hey, go, go share my love with them. Just go invite them to this place of grace. If there's a check in your heart, like, ah, I don't know, that makes me uncomfortable. Maybe tonight's a night to wrestle with that. Wrestle with your heart's attitude toward them. And then finally, he says, to the ends of the earth. Just take, be my witness to the ends of the earth, these unreached people groups. We have a couple staff here at CSF, uh, Aaron and Katie. They went to Iraq for a couple months just sharing, uh, sharing faith with, with people they didn't even know. And I just, I just love that. I love that passion and for the mission. So two questions remain. Jesus says, will you be a witness? If you are a follower of Jesus, he's asking you tonight, will you be a witness? And then secondly, will CSF, this community of believers, be a community of witnesses who operate under the power of the Holy Spirit. This is why we exist as a ministry. So that's the first part of this, right? But after this moment, Jesus ascends into heaven and the Holy Spirit descends upon the disciples and revival breaks out. Peter stands up, he gives this great sermon and he helps connect the dots. For some people understand that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. He died for our sins and he rose again and he wants to give you a life full of grace and love and hope and purpose. And, and 3,000 people choose to follow Jesus and say, okay, I'm in. And then you have this giant group of 3,000 people. It's like, what do you do with them now? And that's where we get into Acts 2 and we start to see the very first church community come together. And, it, and I think it gives us a clear perspective into what we do next. In verse 42, let's read that again. He says, they devoted themselves. You can circle that word devoted in your Bible. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, I think this whole passage hinges, hinges on that word I told you to circle and highlight, devoted. They devoted themselves to four things. And no, normally you think of devotion, you think about your sports team, your favorite artist. But in this, this very fragile, precious early church, they were devoted to four things that have a lot of implications for us. First, they devoted themselves to teaching. 
to learning, to understanding who is God? Who is he really? Who is this Jesus guy? And again, Peter's sermon in Acts 2 revolved around understanding how Jesus was this fulfillment of the, the, the Old Testament prophecies. And as the Messiah, Jesus saved humanity through his blood on the cross and that all who call on his name will be saved. And so they devoted themselves to teaching and understanding and learning. Secondly, they devoted themselves to fellowship. And this was more than just like hanging out. This was about caring for each other. Um, verse 46 tells us they, they, they met together daily in some fashion, but when they saw people in need in their community, they took care of each other and people in the community. Nobody would go hungry there. Um, thirdly, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. Now, this sounds weird to say they devoted themselves to breaking bread together. Like there's a season of my life in which I could theoretically say I was devoted to eating a lot of Taco Bell every week. Uh, but I don't think that's what they're getting at in this passage. I think he's trying to get and explain that when, when Jesus um, just weeks before he was eating with the disciples at Passover, he, he took some bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he took some wine and he poured it, signifying his blood that would be shed on the cross. And because of this moment, still today at the church, we take communion together to reflect on Jesus' sacrifice and connect with God in this holy moment. But, um, uh, but, there, but there was more to this, right? Like as, he, as God established the early church, he, there was devotion to breaking bread and being in homes and, and with glad and sincere hearts sharing a meal. And when you got together for a meal, as you broke bread together with friends, you couldn't break that bread without thinking about Jesus' moment weeks before saying, Jesus' body broke for you. So share this in, in joy and hope together in this spiritual intimate moment and celebrate, worship God by eating together which is so great. I, I love it. There's some spiritual power of a meal together. The intimacy and joy in a shared meal cannot be overstated. And then last but not least, this fourth piece, they devoted themselves to prayer. Probably because they were eating all the time. You got to pray before you eat, right? Uh, no, it was much deeper than that. It was so much deeper. In fact, if you take the whole book of Acts, look at all the times the believers prayed. Look at this. You might be shocked. They prayed for special needs. They, they prayed in the temple. They prayed informally at home. They prayed in prison. They prayed for those in prison. They prayed on their own. They prayed together. They prayed indoors and outdoors. They prayed at midday and midnight. They prayed in the Jerusalem temple in a Roman palace. They prayed at sea and on a beach. They prayed for non-Christians and confused Christians. They prayed when they ate. They prayed when they fasted. They prayed for the sick and they prayed for the dead to be raised. They prayed for their leaders. They prayed when they just became Christians and when they were seconds away from death. I could go on and on with this list, but the point is, guys, these people prayed. And even more, they expected God to answer their prayers. This is a serious devotion. So as I said earlier tonight, we're asking the question, what is our purpose collectively as a community of people following Jesus? And as a community, why are we here? Why are we here? Why do we get together? What's the point of all this? I think if we look at, at the model of Acts 1 to 2, I think we can break it down in some bite-sized pieces. And this isn't an official mission statement of CSF or anything. It's just more of a statement about what we just read. But I think we can pick up on a few things. That our purpose is to be God's witnesses to the ends of the earth so we can invite others into God's family where we'll be devoted to teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer as a community. So just for the sake of tonight, let's look at us. Let's look around at this community of CSF and ask the question, besides the obvious cultural differences, how do we stack up? How do we stack up to this early community? Let me ask another question. 
collectively together as witnesses of God's power in our own lives. If you consider yourself a Christian, you've seen God transform your heart into something new. That might be why you're here tonight. As witnesses of God's power in our own lives, do our hearts burn for the University of Kentucky and those who don't know Jesus, who haven't tasted his grace? Does your heart break for what breaks the Lord's heart here in Lexington, Kentucky and beyond? And what if we started praying this prayer as a community? Lord, break our hearts for what breaks your heart at UK. To see the people who are lonely and invite them in. To see the people who have experienced tragedy and, and comfort them. To look not at like our, our, little, our little friend group, but look beyond and say, how can we be a, a community that invites people in? And seniors, as you hear this message, you might be thinking, man, this is a great message for the underclassmen, but I don't know, man, I'm almost out of here. But listen, you got about six weeks left of legacy. Six weeks. What conversations do you need to have that you've been putting off until these last six weeks? God's not done with you. You've got six good weeks that he can use you on mission right here at UK. When our, when our staff gets together, especially before Synergy or any big event, I always encourage them um, to don't see the crowd, see the individual. It's easy when CSF gets together, there's lots of people and, and big groups, and it's easy to be like, oh, wow, everyone's so happy and engaged and feeling great, but that's just not true. And people come in these doors here and at, at Lewis House and CSF and hurting and broken, every single one of us, there's no single perfect person in here. We all need Grace, And so we have to see the individuals that come in here that need a connection, that need love. Because the reality is, guys, there's a Savior who died on the cross, not just for those who are already here, but those who aren't here either. Jesus died on the cross. He gave up his life. He bled so that the whole world would know him and find purpose in a relationship with Jesus and find a calling for their lives. So this community of CSF, guys, it is our mission to be God's witnesses, to tell them about this God who loves them. And if you're new here tonight, I want you to hear that there, this is a community of grace and that a God who loves you. And that's why we're here. That's why we gather every single week. Uh, recently, we had, um, there was a dinner gathering of some students and um, one of our students, her name is Rest. And I don't know if you know Rest around here, um, but uh, she's uh, got such a unique story about um, her experience at CSF, when I heard her talk about it, I was like, man, this is it. Our whole community of CSF needs to hear this story. So we had her sit down, film her testimony. I, lo I love how she said, CSF is a place you can find grace, you can find fun, and just genuine fellowship. And I'm like, I love that. I love that she thought we had too much fun to be real Christians. Uh, that's real CSF. I, I love that. But, uh, but that's how God designed us, right? Like God designed us with this like serious joy. Like we forget like God's the one who created laughter in the first place. So I love this idea of this community being a, a community of laughter, but also real conversations about real things, the, about all the mistakes we made, but all the grace that God has for us. Um, and and I, I just love that she jumped into core group where she had this authentic community who just like loved her no matter what part of her spiritual journey she was in. Like, that's what it's about, guys. How many, how many guys and girls at UK do you think are, are just like rest? Where they just, man, they just need a group of people to come around them and just say, hey, you're welcome here. No perfect people allowed. It's just us being real and talking about God's grace and how much he loves us. Like, I, I love that. Guys, here's the deal. Pandemics don't cancel mission. They might change methods, but pandemics don't cancel mission. So how are we reaching out? How are we inviting other people into this community? Are you praying that God opens doors the way the early church prayed? 
because we're all in this together and it's not on one person, it's not on me, it's not on our staff, it's about all of us coming together. Um, Brian, Marshall, and I've had a lot of great conversations recently about this, this idea of like a CSF promise that guarantees that any students who walk in our doors will first find grace. That's the first thing they experience is just grace. Like, I just love that. Hebrews 12, 15, one of my favorite verses says, see to it that no one misses the grace of God. Nobody misses the grace of God. You can't escape God's grace because he loves you that much. What if CSF was known as a place where no one ever, ever, ever questions that God has grace for them? No matter what mistakes you made, even non-Christians knew that CSF was a place to find grace. Imagine what would happen. So the first part, guys, about this mission, why are we here? Is, is to be God's witnesses through the power of the Holy Spirit to go and, and reach the nations. And the second part is all about how we operate, how we conduct ourselves as a community. Will we be devoted to teaching, fellowship, breaking bread, and prayer? And I don't, if you've been here for, for four years or tonight's your first night, this is, this is how we do this at CSF for, for, for teaching, how we devote ourselves to teaching. You're sitting here at Synergy right now studying the Bible with your friends. We've got core groups and discipleship like Lydia and Landon were just talking about. Sign up, get one of those core groups, study the Bible together with, with a community. Through um, Right now we're studying Romans and this Cultivate curriculum. It's phenomenal. Jump in there. Um, for fellowship, um, those core groups and shift groups are a big part of how we take care of each other. But we also have things like key care and $5 fast where we say, hey, sacrifice $5 here and there and contribute to this fund that goes right back out to students to help pay for counseling needs or for uh, COVID care packages or however we can serve uh, this campus. Uh, for breaking bread together, well, let me ask you this. Have you ever attended a CSF event that didn't have food? Like truly, honestly, like we just have so much food. It might be the best thing we do around here. Recently, um, someone asked me what the most surprising thing uh, to me was coming on staff at CSF. And I said, um, honestly, I don't have to meal plan anymore. There's always food around, like either real food or uh, leftover food in the fridge because we love to eat around here. And, and I don't think that's just like something we're like, we just love to eat. Like we really believe there is, there's something intimate and spiritual about sharing a meal with someone, this is a huge, huge value. I think it's super important to eat together and to fellowship in that way. And in fact, just to put our money where our mouth is, if you want to get like a meal with me or another staff member or coffee before the end of the school year, we will 100% take you out. And guess what, guys? It's on CSF. So um, we would love, 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 love to feast with you guys and, and hang out with you guys. In fact, we're going to make it so, so easy. We've got this uh, URL, if we can pull that up, if we have it. Um, or not, maybe we don't. Um, but ukcsf.org slash break bread. Um, there's also going to be a QR code out at Connection Point afterwards. It's super simple. ukcsf.org slash break bread. Um, go to that, that form. It'll just basically ask you your name. Hey, uh, sign up and we will, we will go. A staff member will, will take you out and uh, we'll pay for it because we just believe in this value of breaking bread together and celebrating what Jesus is doing in, in our lives or even just answering questions, whatever you need. We're going to be a community that cares for each other um, and this is one way we're going to do it. So um, even if you're about to graduate, we'd love to take you out. Come join us for that. So, um, and then last but not least for prayer. Talks about devoting ourselves to prayer. We've got three o'clock prayer every day in the Lewis House basement. And I love walking down there, seeing students taking time out of their busy day to just sit with the Lord and pray and worship. Um, we also have these awesome prayer team members that meet before Synergy and pray for you. And they're going to be over here to the side tonight to pray for you as soon as I'm done 
as well. Um, I heard about our internationals team this past Sunday. Um, they ate dinner and then they spent an hour and a half just praying for people and praying for people who don't know the Lord. Like 90 minutes. That's a long time. I'm inspired by our students just lifting each other up. Guys, this is a community that cares deeply. But here's the deal, guys. CSF, it's not a perfect place. It's not a perfect place. Everyone knows that. There's no perfect people allowed, so it's not going to be a perfect place. So we're actively trying to become better disciples of Jesus as a community, but it's not just up to me or our staff. In fact, so much more of our, our ministry at UK hinges on you. It's about what are you willing to contribute, contribute, not just participate, but contribute and serve. So remember this as you leave tonight, guys, faith is personal, not private. So think collectively, not individually. It's personal but it's not meant to be lived out privately. So think collectively, not individually. How can we have a bigger impact on the campus of UK? How can we bring light to the darkness? I mean, just today, there, there was that scary moment at the hospital and, and a guy that was clearly hurting, there's some darkness in it. his life, walked into the hospital and he had firearms and bulletproof vests and bombs in his car. It was a scary, scary moment. Some of you guys were there like, like as part of this experience and, and man, we were praying and we were just lifting you guys up and, and praying for law enforcement. And I'm so, 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 so grateful that nobody got hurt, but it just, it was a reminder like, this is why we exist. Not just CSF, but the church in general to bring light into the darkness, to bring hope to the hopeless, to bring purpose to the purposeless. That's why we're here. We're not here to get a paycheck. We're not here to live for the weekend. We're here for so much more. So are you ready to dive into the deep end and live life intentionally, not on accident? Because Jesus has so much more for you, so much more for us. So if we truly love our neighbors, the, the, the person who lives in the dorm next to you plays their music too loud every night. If we truly love them, then we need to be the most hospitable place on campus, the most welcoming environment. This can't be a holy huddle because we got to get messy. You know, one of the values that we care deeply about CSF is that you can belong before you believe. Meaning you don't have to be a Christian to come into CSF. You don't have to believe the same things we believe. You can just come and find a community that loves you, that cares for you, and you can be a part of groups. You can do all of those things. You can belong here because we love you. Not because of what you believe, but just because you are someone who is created by God and we love you. So if that's you tonight, admit, I'm so glad you're here. Come hang out with us. Be a part of this community. We want to love you, take care of you, serve you. We'd love for you to be a part of what we're doing here at CSF. You can belong before you believe. But on the flip side, if you're, if you're here tonight, you consider yourself a follower of Jesus. There's no, there's no bench warmers in the kingdom of God, guys. There's only kingdom workers and non-kingdom workers. So uh, God has a plan and a purpose for you as part of this community, as the body of Christ. We need people who are extroverted and introverted. We need people who um, are, are really great at evangelism and really great at discipleship. We need every, every type of personality and gift and passion here at CSF because we have so many people to reach. Now look, there's 22,000 people that are, are attending UK right now this spring. And we don't have 22,000 people in this room, so we got a lot of work to do. And we got to reach campus, guys. We got to let our, God break our heart for campus. Get signed up for discipleship. Get in a service role. Um, come out to feast in a couple weeks so we can continue to pursue God together. 
get involved as you, as you jump into this, this community of CSF. Remember, we're, we are not, uh, we're not a church. We're a ministry reaching college students. You, you, we need you to be involved in a local church here in Lexington because the local church community and Christian community needs college students like you who are coming in with your passions and your gifts and can serve. But guys, God has big plans for CSF. And if you're here for the first time tonight, you know, it's kind of a weird night, but I'm also so glad you're here because I want you to hear our heart for you is that you can belong before you believe God has a, has a huge plan for your life. Jesus loves you. And, and, uh, and we want you here. We're so glad you're here. Um, and, but also, after you've been here and you're following Jesus, we've got a place for you to serve. We've got a place for you to jump in and leave because we need you so badly here. So God, start to break our hearts. Break our hearts for campus. Use us. Help us be devoted. Let's pray. Jesus, thanks for being here tonight. And Lord, as we think about our role here, the reason you put us here in Lexington, Kentucky, at the University of Kentucky, that wasn't an accident. We didn't just stumble into this. You called us for a specific reason at this point in time. And so, Lord, I pray that we would, um, that first of all, God, that you would break our hearts for what breaks your heart. That we wouldn't just see that, that guy or girl walking by us on the sidewalk, that we would see a child of God, that you love them and you want to um, care for them and you want, us, you want to use us to care for them, Lord. So God, we pray for the students who are lost and confused and looking for purpose right now. Use us, Lord, to reach them. God, we pray for those who have experienced tragedy recently, that we would help comfort them. Lord, we pray for those who have lost someone in this pandemic, Lord, that you would be near to them and use us to be a good listening ear and to care for them. God, we pray for the professors who are just as lost as some students. Lord, we pray for the administration who need Jesus just as much as we do. God, help us be salt and light on the campus of UK. I pray for the seniors who are about to graduate, Lord, that they would be salt and light in the communities that they're going to move into, Lord. Because the mission doesn't stop here, it continues as we send them out as missionaries into this world. So let us be witnesses with the power of the Holy Spirit, God. And I pray that heaven would be full of extra people because of this group of people right here, because of the ministry of CSF, Lord. And Lord, I pray for those tonight who might be here that don't know the Lord, God, that you would just be so close to them right now, that you would just remind them how much you love them, how much grace you have for them, just like Rest shared earlier, that this is a community of grace and you can't meet Jesus and not experience grace, Lord. So just pray, Lord, right now that they would experience and remember that they are forgiven because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. But God, you have a greater plan for their life and that you would just fill them with just excitement and passion for what you want to do in their lives, Lord. God, I pray that we'd be a community that loves authentically, loves genuinely. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey guys, we are back. Um, my name is Rachel, and like I said earlier, I'm here with Reese and Landon so that we can discuss this sermon a little bit, unpack it a little, talk about the practicality of what this looks like in our lives. And so we're just going to take about talk about like our main points that we got, and also just like how we ourselves are even challenged by what David talked about. So Reese, can we start with you? Sure. What was the thing that like really stuck out to you? I think uh, so. I, I wrote down. Uh, one of the lines that David put at the very end of his talk, he said, faith is personal, not private. So think collectively, not individually. You stole mine. I, I did. We can share it because okay. I think I'm going to go in a that. different way. So me personally, um, 
you know, probably not a lot of people will identify this, but my dad is an Anglican priest. So we, um, you know, I grew up with both the Bible in my head and uh, also a thing called the Book of Common Prayer in my head. Mm. Um, and there's just so many things about that where um, so much in the Bible is written from a like a plural way, like all of the yous in all of Paul's letters are actually you all, which is great because <laughs> we're in Kentucky, so we can yeah. just y'all. Um, or like in um, the Apostles and Nicene Creed, like how it talks about the apostolic and or the Catholic and apostolic church. And that doesn't mm-hmm. mean Catholic like Pope, uh, you know, um, Roman Catholic, it means universal. Mm-hmm. So thinking about how like, there's this there's this baked in reality with being a, a Christ follower that means that spirituality is not just you and the Bible mm-hmm. and take it on the world. It's that like you internalize the gospel through the presence of other people. That's how God primarily wants to work in your life is through other people. So mm-hmm. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I agree. Like I love even just what you're talking about. I took church history last year. And in the beginning of church history, they kind of just like unpack like what the church even looked like after Jesus rose from the dead. And it was weekly meeting together for a feast in celebration of the fact that Jesus rose from the dead on our behalf. And so um, I just love that communal aspect of celebration and just sharing in the gospel message. So, um, yeah, I think that's also why this part stood out to me, because also I'm reading Oz. Guinness for one of my classes and, you know, classic The Calls. And he talks about, yes, we have a personal calling, but we also have this corporate calling, a calling to one another and with one another. Hmm. Um, And so I just think that's really important to think about when we're thinking about like our future and like what God God is calling us into is also like who we are called alongside because it is so easy to think individualistically, especially in our culture where we were kind of like born up in that kind of a mindset. And so just really intentionally thinking about like a corporate calling across the church is so um, significant. Landon, what did you think? Yeah, I think my point that stuck out really kind of bounced off of that because I really appreciated what he, he that he even included like Acts 1-8 and was talking about, you know, in discerning like, yes, we're called to um, walk alongside people and like be, you know, not just have our own private faith, but we're called to people. And so in discerning like who those people are, um, and who we're called to walk alongside, but also like witness to. Um, Acts 1 8 gives us some guidance where it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And David kind of highlighted how, um, you know, he put up this image of like rings that just keep getting larger and larger. And so we're, you know, first called to those people that are in like direct proximity to us. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's the, you know, people you live with, maybe it's your family, maybe it's, you know, the person you sit next to in class. Um, but we can start with these people and then kind of build up from there. Um, so I thought that was that was a good kind of sense of guidance of who we are even called to uh, mm-hmm. as followers of Christ. Didn't he ask a question, remind me if you guys think of this, of like, who are the people in your life that you're afraid of God to call mm-hmm. you um, to witness to? Yep. Did he ask something yeah. like that? I think he related it to the the Samaritans. Ooh. Of how like that would have been the people group. There were like people groups that uh, the church in Jerusalem would have not liked, and then even outside of that, ones they just wouldn't have understood at mm-hmm. all. And he, the ones that was like they were directly not buddies with the Samaritans, oh, yeah, is sure. one that um, they were they were called to uh, do missions 
and evangelize. So yeah. it just so happens yeah. that sometimes those are the people that are like in proximity as well, which is yeah, mm-hmm. definitely uncomfortable. But yeah, especially especially on a college campus, you know, like there are just a million student groups, and some of them yeah. probably deeply disagree with each other about important things. Mm-hmm. Um, Landon, I had an idea while you were talking. Um, my dad's church likes to use this Greek term called oikos, which is like a brand of yogurt. It's a brand of yogurt, <laughs> but it means a household. And there's a there's an important like framework in um, in missional theology and missiology, if you want to use the fancy <laughs> word, um, called the oikos of like you want to evangelize to your household. Mm-hmm. And I was just thinking the whole time I was like, oh. Oh, this is like the oikos, where like you want to evangelize primarily to your family and friends, but you also want to reach those people. You want to make sure you're reaching the people who are like friends of the family, friends of friends, um, and uh, and then making like making sure that no one who comes within your circle is overlooked ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really it's really tasty. And I love the model of like even the household for like. Christian discipleship or Christian evangelism because like you can love people practically by like people you live with by like doing the dishes, but you can also like welcome people into your home, you know, from outside your home to come and share a meal or that type of thing. So I think that idea of even like the householder, that's why I love like this space that we have at CSF now, like the Lewis house where, you know, students can just come in and just hang out and really like feel at home. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's even what we're invited to as followers of Christ is just to be at home in his presence. And so as much as we can usher that into campus or offer it to our, our households, I think that would be maybe mm-hmm. a, a practical application for, yeah. um, for David's word this week. Yeah. Um, since you mentioned it, why don't we just move into our practical applications? Because we don't want to just hear a message and just go home and never think about it again. We really want to live out um, these things that God is calling us into. So do one of you guys want to start with like a practical application that you were thinking about? I'll start with mine. Um, so David talked about this idea of the breaking of bread, mm-hmm. uh, which doesn't mean I'm going to go into the deep Anglican theology about communion. Although if anybody has any questions about that, you can ask me. Um, but I think there was a moment actually while we were setting up for Synergy, I was talking to David about him, about him, the, about the uh, 42 and 43, those verses mm-hmm. and how breaking of bread is kind of like, code word for what we call communion, um, what other churches call Eucharist, any of those words. Mm-hmm. Um, but breaking of bread is such an interesting thing because it's such a normal term. There's no capital letters in breaking of bread, which mm-hmm. is like the signifier of how it's just so normal. Um, but I, I was thinking about how breaking of bread spans any shared meal, really, within the fellowship. So breaking of bread can be communion, but it can also be something as simple as like B&T. how B and T or like how, how rest shared like her connection th- with Kira, like connecting yeah. with her, getting food with her, hanging out, like completely reframing and converting to a new idea, a bigger idea of God through breaking bread with Kira and building that connection. Um, I would say too, like, do we see communion is not just a remembrance thing. Remembrance is a good word. We always want to remember those good things, but do you actually see communion as like a participant? Like you're eating a meal with Jesus Mm -hmm. and it's not that none of the meals you eat except communion are meals with Jesus, but that one's specifically like, 
I'm sharing this bread and this wine with you because I read John 6 earlier today, because I want to have a part of Jesus. And that's Mm -hmm. what changes me from the inside out is abiding in his love and eating his, his flesh and his blood, as he says in John. Um, and, you know, both ends of that are participating in the life of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I would jump off of that, I think, is just who do you want in your life to taste, you know, if we're talking about food, you know, if we're talking about, you know, taking communion, if we're talking about, you know, being invited to a table um, to taste and see the Lord's goodness mm-hmm. in your life. Um, who can you invite to the table? I think so much of this, but why series has been wrestling with like the, well, who am I called to or what am I called to? Um, But really like, you know, our sole purpose is to invite others in Mm -hmm. um, to more of God, to more of uh, his goodness for our lives. And so I think that who that is and what we look like, what that looks like and how we do it, um, we've been kind of exploring. But I think that core question is just like, who is that person that you can invite in? Mm -hmm. Um, and so maybe that's the take home for this week is who is that one person that you can invite in? And sometimes it's inviting them to your literal table, mm-hmm. but sometimes it's just inviting them in in different ways or just even going to them uh, and reaching them. Yeah. And I love all of this in reflection of like what is coming, which is feast. Yeah. Selfish plug there. For you can see coming up. Slash yeah. feast, sign up 30 bucks, be there. Uh, but just like <laughs> even like in preparatory for that event, like, feasting with one another. Like we're going to feast together there then, but also let this be a month of just like seeking people out and inviting them to the table, inviting them um, into your life to taste like what you have, like the sweet nectar of Jesus that you possess. Um, so I love that we're talking about this. Also, you know, feasting is great, but I did just want to hit the most, really the most important point for me was that just, you know, that David was like, the Paul Blart of Sears, you know, Um, except he wasn't, he wasn't a mall cop. He specifically pointed out that he was a mall detective, you know, Um, you know, also telling us that old ladies like to shoplift when they're bored. That was just, that's crazy. Man, anecdotes up the wazoo with this guy. I would watch that movie. Yeah. I would. Yeah. I think it's just such a funny image to even see David in a, like a detective security outfit. I don't know. Yeah, so don't Just you dare take him. anything from Lewis House because yeah, you have a professional Lewis coming House after detective you. David Hashkinet. We'll find you. We're gonna buy <laughs> him a Segway, and he's gonna chase everyone down. Could you imagine driving that thing down the steps anyway? Um, So thank you all so much for listening. I think that we can even just leave it there as our takeaway about feasting with one another, inviting people into your homes, into your lives, and allowing them to even just like taste the goodness of the Lord and even maybe even telling them about it. I think that's kind of scary, but there are moments where we get to share the goodness of the gospel. What if you invited one of your friends to a literal feast. Whoa, <gasps> that's so easy. You literally just get to say, hey, RSVP to this and come with me. That's awesome. So again, thank you guys for listening. Um, that's going to be it for today, but come back to in the future to listen to the ASAP. Bye. Bye. Later. Later.